Hello again, and thanks for joining us on the Maine Question Podcast, where we talk to researchers, explorers, and changemakers at UMaine who are tackling the big questions of our day. I'm your host, Ron Lisnett. In this episode, we explore yet another angle of the biggest story of many of our lifetimes, the COVID-19 pandemic. It has affected virtually every aspect of everybody's life in profound and different ways, both known and unknown. The health crisis caused by the coronavirus tops that list, but for many, a close second is the economic devastation it has wreaked. Every type of economic activity has been slowed down in a major way or stopped altogether. That affects people's wages, tax revenue, schools, towns, hospitals, tourism, funding for infrastructure, you name it. So what effect has the pandemic had on Maine's economy? What advantages or disadvantages does Maine have to work with? What will the effect be on tourism, one of Maine's biggest industries? Andrew Crawley, an assistant professor of regional economic development, and six of his grad students worked with the state economist's office in Augusta to assess the economic impact of the coronavirus in five critical areas. Tourism spending, travel-related spending, cruise ship spending, state revenues, and overall output changes in several sectors. All the numbers aren't in yet, and the situation changes almost daily. But Andrew and one of his grad students, Sarah Welch, share their findings with us, and they help us try to answer the main question for this episode. What will the impacts of COVID-19 be on Maine's economy and future? Thank you both for joining us. We appreciate it. And thank you for having me. No problem. This is obviously a huge situation, and it's a moving target, and things are happening fast. The whole issue of the pandemic and its effects seems overwhelming. How how do you even begin to start investigating that something that's so big and moving so quickly? I think that's a very good question. Um, It's right to say that it's overwhelming just because it has affected so many aspects of the economy and so many aspects of people's lives in general. Um, I think what you have to do is go back to fundamentals and think about how an economy works, how individual agents, they're employed, they earn wages, they spend money in the economy. Um, That money then leads to other people having a job. Those jobs then end up circulating more money through the system and the economy grows. When you start from that fundamental basis that that's something we know, we try to use that as our start point and then build in these challenges and the dynamics that have been occurring. So I think it's we do it in pieces and we're trying to fill out pieces of this very significant puzzle that is our modern economy. So the pieces that we know, the pieces that you you work, you earn money, you spend in retail, for example, that is a fundamental piece of the economy that we know exists. Sarah, what was this a daunting task and project to take on? I wouldn't necessarily use the word daunting. It definitely was challenging in that. I've done a lot of work with empirical data before. However, this is such an unprecedented time that it's especially important to be clear with the assumptions that I'm making based on economic fundamentals. But then also, like Andy was saying earlier, the data comes out, things change. You have to be flexible with your assumptions and keep a clear log of the kind of research you're doing, especially as a more beginner. There's a lot of knowns, and as you said, there's a lot of unknowns and how this will play out. What what was the balance between those two, and how do you take the unknowns into account? That's a really good point. Um, I think the first thing, kind of coming back to understanding the fundamentals of how these things work, when you do a traditional economic analysis, 
you usually have more constraints, more things that are certain parameters to allow you to kind of understand the bounds of where you're beginning. And I think here we had very little to go off of. We were relying on the work of epidemiologists and others to help kind of steer how we thought about the process of the economy moving through something like uh, almost a depression level event. Um, and so what we've really done is We've thrown a lot of theory out the window here because a lot of the theory is something that just doesn't add up when you see these dramatic shocks. And we're allowing the data that is being collected to really guide us. So the patterns that we're seeing, these massive drops within output, massive drops within employment and huge rises in unemployment, we're allowing those patterns to really guide our decision-making about how the economy is going to move. But it's common sense and flexibility. I think you can't be too rigid when you're dealing with something with so much unknown. There's a lot of areas that the state economists were interested in looking at. How did you come together with the state and come up with a plan to put this into action? That's a good question. I've actually been working with the state economist, Amanda Rector, for a while. We were involved in a number of projects over the last year in particular. Um, one of my graduate students actually works as an economic analysis analyst with Amanda, uh, Angela Hallowell. And so we had an existing uh, partnership or relationship where we've been involved in a number of projects. And I think, like anyone, I truthfully wanted to help at the moment. So we were in contact talking about pieces of work I was doing, pieces of work they were doing, and it seemed to make sense that we could combine those resources to be able to address those problems. Um, the areas that, that kind of jumped out at us were areas that massively affect Maine, tourism. Tourism is one of our major industries. Um, it's an industry which had been growing, and so it made sense for us to look at that. But then we also wanted to capture some of the other pieces that we know are just important to the economy in general. Uh, travel, being able to commute between places, that being now restricted, um, and then um, looking at the taxation element, trying to understand where revenues are dropping and, and how that will affect the state going forward. Sarah, your piece of this was the tax side of things. How did you decide to examine that and how big a piece of the overall puzzle was, was that? I was given the tax piece largely because it was the fiscal impact of the unemployment claims and much of my prior research was on labor market dynamics, specifically looking at unemployment and job vacancies. And I've done that at the national and at the regional level. So I had an understanding of Maine's labor market and sort of the layout of it. So I could take the different industries that were assumed to be more hit by this pandemic and sort of go for there from there to look at the drop in the income and how that would flow through the income taxes and therefore. Everything else was sort of flowing into what you were looking at. Yes. And how the reports were structured, at least for the class, where they're independent. So some of the results that I got would have been double counted if you looked at other students' reports at, at this stage. So uh, I sort of buried the lead here, I guess, a little bit. Maybe you could talk about what key findings did you come up with? What are the headlines out of this, this whole effort? I think one of the biggest elements is, is, like most of us realized, tourism is incredibly badly hit. Um, if we take tourism as a broad range of industries rather than just one thing, you're talking about hotels, motels, campgrounds, food, restaurants, um, all aspects of hospitality, recreation. Really, all the primary pieces of the tourism industry 
is directly affected by COVID. And because we have so many tourists come into Maine each year, they were an important source of revenue year round. And so I think our findings underlined how badly hurt the tourism industry is. I'd also suggest that our data and some of the analysis directly pointed, using some of the information we had, to the drop-off in travel around the state. So we were looking at tolls and sensor data to be able to establish how people were moving around the state. That lined up with what we'd expected, that you saw these significant drop-offs. Now, that allowed us, um, using historic data, to see the patterns that occur within revenue spend. When you suddenly stop have people uh, stop people traveling from A to B, or people are not frequently traveling to A to B, they're not filling up their gas tank as frequently. They're not going to the grocery store as much. They're not uh, uh, maybe making that purchase of a new sofa or a new refrigerator. It's all of those pieces uh, uh, that kind of interconnect and that travel data allowed us to piece that in. Um, I think Sarah's work in particular, looking at uh, taxation, showed the magnitude of the losses. Now, I think we, we wouldn't put a dollar value on it, on it at this point, um, but you were seeing significant losses in revenue to the state. Our findings, um, when the official data comes out uh, towards July and August this year, I think our, our connection between the drop-off in travel, how that affected these revenues, is going to become more clear. But what we can say is these are very large drops. This is not insignificant falls. These are not uh, things that could be kind of written off. These are significant changes to the economic landscape of Maine. Are there any precedents or previous events that were similar enough that you could use in putting this together? The uh, recession of 2008, 9-11. Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Sarah. I mean, you, you looked at all these things in your textbooks and in your classes, I'm sure. Anything look familiar or even close? As of now, the, the initial is, is unique to the situation for sure. I know in my own labor market research, Right now, because of the sharp increases in unemployment claims and the drop in job vacancies, we are in new territory. But as the economy recovers and people can start to go back to work, I think the adjustment from the recession into the future will be comparable. But right now, it's so drastic, it's hard to tell. Andy, have you ever seen anything remotely like this in your years? I, I'm not old enough to remember a last global pandemic, but, but what I would say, there are, there are few um, recessions that could compare to this. I've been asked this a lot over the last number of weeks to kind of compare this to previous things. The problem we face is that in our history, in our modern history, we've never tried to stop an economy in its tracks. You've seen an economy naturally fall away. Its output start to drop as inflation pushes up pressure. Um, uh, shocks for particular goods drive up prices like the oil price shocks. But what we saw here was a fundamental decision of individuals to say, uh, and this is not doing the rights or wrongs. This is simply saying people said, we are going to stop this now to allow public health to take its role or take its course. And so we had nothing to go off about that. And I think people who refer to the last pandemic and look at the rates of infection and, and what happened, 
they ignore the fact we're in a very fundamentally different world. We're doing this interview via Zoom. I, I think in the 1918, Zoom had a much weaker broad audience. Um, and I think as a result, you, you would argue that it's so difficult to predict where, we, where our economy will go as a result of this being so unique. And the irony, of course, is that four months ago, this economy was doing pretty well. Uh, and everybody talks about a V-shaped dip in the economy that's going to go down quickly, but come back quickly. Can you just give us the the economist's view of that? And is, is that even possible, given what you guys have seen? I think that's an economist passing the buck. I, I, th- I think the, the challenge that we face at the moment, uh, again, back to your previous question is, what do we have to go off of? Normally, when we talk about V-shaped re- uh, recessions, what we're meaning is that you have this quick dip, and then suddenly the sharp rise as output begins to increase again. Um, workers start to get re-employed and the economy begins to motor on on the path that it was on previously. So that's that V-shape. Uh, unfortunately, in this case, I think some people expected this would be a quick V-shape. So the economy would shut, you would then reopen it, and immediately people would begin to get back into the labor force and output rise. The longer this has gone on, the problem that we face is that liquidity and other issues might force significant numbers of businesses to shut. And if those businesses begin to shut, the odds that you're going to have a sharp increase in recovery diminish dramatically. And what you might see are things like W-based recessions, where you see a slight increase, but then a drop off again, and then an increase. Those things are challenges. There's also the U-shaped recession, which is a much deeper recession that carries on for a longer period of time with output being constrained and then getting back up to its previous level. But I think with social distancing measures and the prospects of a vaccine on the horizon, like a, a period of time away, the chances that we're going to be back on that same growth path within the next two, three, four quarters, I think is diminishing by the day. It's going to take time um, for us to get back up to the levels that we were at. Sarah, your thoughts? I would say a similar thing. I think with all the uncertainty out there, it's unrealistic from my point of view to see the economy bounce back so quickly within the next few quarters. However, I'm optimistic that once we do have a vaccine and things begin to go back to normal, that the recovery will hopefully be quicker than the last recession. In every way, this is certainly a tragic event. But for economists, I'm just wondering how history is going to judge us. Is this as robust an example of an economic model to study as you could ever come up with? There's going to be books and Nobel Prizes and PhDs and all kinds of stuff looking out into the future with this, right? I think you're right. I think the 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 problem that, that most economists face is that we are... Um, very much a behavioral science. We, 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 a lot of our work comes out of understanding how individuals behave. And I think if there's one thing that's certain over the last six to seven weeks, people's behavior is changing dramatically. Things that many people thought would not happen, simply being able uh, uh, to tell vast swathes of people. I've seen reports out of Italy saying that Italians had um, a very specific movement pattern within their cities. And that movement pattern allowed us to understand how uh, bars, restaurants and activity, economic activity took place. That's been totally fundamentally changed. 
and the fact with social distancing measures probably being here for the for a significant period of time it's going to continue to change now robust is a tough word here i think we can try to make these models as realistic as possible but robust might imply that we have more certainty than we currently have and as a result i think i would i would say we are doing our best to understand the implications of what's happened but being able to really build a robust model is something that's going to take time and i think most of us want to help to be able to understand identify where maybe the unforeseen problems exist right now because if we can do that we can hopefully support the most vulnerable i'm curious about this as well i mean a lot of people have um looked at the the side effects of this whole situation seen a lot of news reports saying we're going to have to do things differently whether it's clean energy or uh, you know you name it any number of other ways that we used to do things do you think this will spur innovation fundamental change big shifts in how we live and work i think it definitely will be a catalyst to changing some of those fundamental issues that existed prior because i think the landscape of the economy will change because of this and going forward, the hope would be that maybe you do incorporate more clean energy. I've seen a lot of articles come out of, is an office-based workplace the most productive? And I think having this time will allow people to focus in on those questions for sure. I think the, the work from home environment is, I think, something which is going to become much more common. You are going to start to see things being done differently. I think I'm already seeing that businesses uh, those businesses who are trying to um, uh, kind of diversify their models now with curbside pickup, for example, in, in some places, or people switching from cloth production of T-shirts to cloth masks, to breweries producing hand sanitizer. I think this is all examples of innovative behavior that have been brought about by this challenge. And I, I want to highlight one of the points I made previously. We were talking about this W-shaped recession that I mentioned. A W-shaped recession is not fundamentally an awful thing. It actually shows that progress is made and innovation does take place. It just takes a little bit longer to get back to that path. And I think the example of those diversifying, their businesses diversifying into these different products or people being innovative about the way they do deal with their business, they might be things to stay. Those things might continue long past this because they are fundamentally better ways of doing business. Um, it, it's, it's just a shame it's born out of such kind of tragedy at the moment. Uh, now, I think you mentioned there's a, a survey that's being generated and associated with this. Can you tell us about that? At the moment, uh, most of us, I, I kind of, we've highlighted the fact that data takes a while to actually get out uh, economic information for us to be able to analyze these scenarios. So here at the School of Economics, we're going to be running the main rapid business climate survey. Um, this survey is recruiting a panel of businesses representative across the state. Um, the idea is it's 10 quick fire questions that are sent to these businesses every week and allows us to get a snapshot of exactly what's taking place. Um, and th those, uh, those surveys will help inform our understanding of, of kind of as closures begin to, to kind of recede and openings begin to happen, how a business is affected. So I would say to people, please look out for it. The survey is going to be implemented over the next couple of weeks. Um, and it's something that we, we, we feel is going to help support Maine's recovery. 
So I know there were five or six students overall that you had involved with this. Is that right? We had Will Chrysler, who was involved doing a study on, on the economic impact of the cruise ship industry. Sarah Welsh, uh, who you've been speaking to, who was looking at taxation. We had Lauren Miller looking at sectoral information. We had uh, Antonio Jolina uh, looking at uh, transportation. We had Liam Seward looking at uh, the economic impact of tourism on the state. And finally, um, we had George Voigt, who was looking at sectoral and occupational information. What has the experience been like for the students uh, to work on a major real-world project such as this, Sarah? Is this as good a learning opportunity as you've come across in your time as an economics student? I would say this has been a fantastic opportunity to learn. It's unfortunate that this is the circumstance, but I feel like this is, I've had the pleasure of working for Andy as a research assistant, so I have sort of used my knowledge that I've gained in school on real world problems, but the timing of this is so unprecedented and I feel like it has really prepared me to go into the workforce of being given a problem that nobody knows the answer and having to do my best to try to get meaningful information out. Are there pluses and minuses about Maine's situation relative to other states? Where does Maine fit on the on the curve? Are we the average? Or are we going to be more devastated, less devastated? How do you see that playing out? It's an interesting question because I know that I've seen certain surveys that were suggesting because of Maine's economic structure that we would struggle. And I think that's fair. There's pieces uh, like tourism is such a major component of our economy that, that we are going to um, suffer badly in those areas and we want to support those industries as best possible. However, some of the pluses, Maine was running a budget surplus before all this began. Maine, Maine had, a, a, had a surplus and they had a, a kind of a, a war chest, if you will, to kind of support their efforts going forward. It's also a small state which gives it a flexibility that maybe other larger states do not have. Um, simply our rural nature, which might present an economic challenge in some cases, might present an economic advantage in others. We've already started seeing that some of the rural counties have begun to reopen where there was no community transmission. So I think some of the, 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 the kind of negatives, the challenges Maine faces is kind of weighed against some of the positive aspects that we have running these surpluses, the fact that, that we do, do have a rural economic structure, um, and the fact that we are small and can be agile means that we might be able to, to, to kind of deal with this in a way that other larger states um, aren't able to cope. So finally, for both of you, what is your best educated guess for all this, how this all plays out? Timeline, major events, milestones to watch for. How do you think this all uh, ends up? Maybe, Sarah, let's start with you. I think that's a very good question that I wish I had an answer to, but I think the truth is there's so much uncertainty and I think we'll have to watch other rural states and how they play out and sort of see how Janet Mills' timeline goes over the summer. But I think until there's a vaccine, it's quite hard to tell. Andy? That's a very good answer. I think um, a vaccine really becomes a game changer here. And I think when that becomes readily available, so not just a vaccine exists, 
but it's distributable and it has a plan about how it's going to get out, that will change things. I would suggest that it will be interesting to see as these rural states begin to reopen how robust their revenues are. So let's see how how people's behaviors um, either are the same or are altered after this event, because I think it's the behavior of how individuals choose to, to, to kind of go back to their ordinary everyday lives, which is going to determine how the economy reacts or grows after this. Well, this is uh, some great work and valuable information, and uh, we thank you both for uh, sharing it with us, and uh, stay safe and, and good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for joining us. You can check out all our episodes and subscribe to our series on Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Drop us a line if you have questions or comments at mainquestion at maine.edu. This is Ron Luznet. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question. Question.